0: Chapter 17 of Zadig, The Book of Fate by Voltaire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of Fate, Chapter 17, The Hermit. As Zadig was traveling along, he met with a hermit whose grey and venerable beard descended to his girdle. He had in his hand a little book, on which his eyes were fixed. Zadig threw himself in his way, and made him a profound bow. The hermit returned the compliment with such an air of majesty and benevolence, that Zadig's curiosity prompted him to converse with so agreeable a stranger. Pray, sir, said he. What may be the contents of the treatise you are reading with such attention? "'Tis called,' said the hermit, "'the book of fate. Will you please to look at it?' He put the book into the hands of Zadig, who, though he was a perfect master of several languages, couldn't decipher one single character. This raised his curiosity still higher. "'You seem dejected,' said the good father to him." Alas, I have cause enough, said Zadig. If you'll permit me to accompany you, said the old hermit, perhaps I may be of some service to you. I have sometimes instilled sentiments of consolation into the minds of the afflicted. Zadig had a secret regard for the air of the old man, for his beard and his book. He found, by conversing with him, that he was the most learned person he had ever met with. The hermit harangued on destiny, justice, mortality, the sovereign good, the frailty of nature, on virtue and vice, in such a lovely manner and in such a flow of words, that Zadig was attached to him by an invincible charm. He begged earnestly that he would favor him with his company to Babylon. That favor I was going to ask myself said the old man. Swear to me by Oros that you won't leave me. For some days at least, let me do what I please. Zadig took the oath required and both pursued their journey. The two travelers arrived that evening at a superb castle. The hermit begged for an hospitable reception of himself and his young comrade. The porter whom anyone might have taken for some grandee, let them in, but with a kind of coldness and contempt. However, he conducted them to the head steward, who went with them through every rich apartment of his master's house. They were seated at supper afterwards at the lower end, indeed, of the table, and where they were taken little or no notice of by the host but they were served with as much delicacy and profusion as any of the other guests. When they arose from table, they washed their hands in a golden basin set with emeralds and other costly stones. When t'was time to go to rest, they were conducted into a bedchamber richly furnished, and the next morning two pieces of gold were presented to him for their mutual service by a valet in waiting, and then they were dismissed. The proprietor of this castle, said Zadig, as they were upon the road, seems to me to be a very hospitable gentleman, though somewhat too haughty indeed, and too imperious. The words were no sooner out of his mouth, but he perceived that the pocket of his comrade's garment, though very large, was swelled and greatly extended. He soon saw what was the cause, and that he had clandestinely brought off the golden laver. He durst not immediately take notice of the fact, but was ready to sink at the very thought on it. About noon, the hermit rapped at a petty cottage with his staff, the beggarly residence of an old rich miser. He desired that he and his companion might refresh themselves there for a few hours. An old shabby dome stick let them in indeed, but with visible reluctance, and carried them into the stable, where all their fare was a few musty olives and a draught of two of sour small beer. The hermit seemed as content with his repast as he was the night before. At last, rising off from his seat, he paid his compliments to the old valet who had as watchful an eye over them all the time, as if they had been a brace of thieves, and intimated every now and then that he feared they would be benighted, and gave him the two pieces of gold he had but just received that morning, as a token of his gratitude for his courteous entertainment. He added, moreover, I would willingly speak one word with your master before I go. The valet, thunderstruck at his unexpected gratuity, complied with his request. "'Most hospitable, sir,' said the hermit. "'I couldn't go away without returning you my grateful acknowledgments "'for the friendly reception we have met with this afternoon. "'Be pleased to accept this golden basin "'as a small token of my gratitude and esteem.' "'The miser started and was ready to fall down, "'backwards, at the sight of so valuable a present.' The hermit gave him no time to recover out of his surprise, but marched off that moment with his young comrade. "'Father,' said Zadig, "'what is all this that I have seen? You seem to me to act in a quite different manner from the generality of mankind. You plunder one who entertained you with all the pomp and profusion in the world, to enrich a covetous sordid wrench.' who treated you in the most unworthy manner. Son, said the old man, that grandee who receives visits of strangers with no other view than to gratify his pride and to raise their astonishment at the furniture of his palace, will henceforward learn to be wiser and the miser to be more liberal for the time to come. Don't be surprised, but follow me. Zadig was at a stand at present and couldn't well determine whether his companion was a, man of, was a man of greater wisdom than ordinary or a madman. But the hermit assumed such an ascendancy over him, exclusive of the oath he had taken, that he couldn't tell how to leave him. At night they came to a house very commodiously built, but neat and plain, where nothing was wanting, and yet nothing profuse. The master was a philosopher— that had retired from the busy world in order to live in peace and form his mind to virtue. He was pleased to build this little box for the reception of strangers in a handsome manner, but without ostentation. He came in person to meet them at the door, and for a time advised them to sit down and rest themselves in a commodious apartment. After some respite, he invited them to a frugal yet elegant repast, during which he talked very intelligently about the late revolutions in Babylon. He seemed entirely to be in the queen's interest, and heartily wished that Zadig had entered the list for the regal prize. But Babylon, said he, don't deserve a king of so much merit. A modest blush appeared in Zadig's face at this unexpected compliment which innocently aggravated his misfortunes. It was agreed, on all hands, that the affairs of this world took sometimes a quite different turn from what the wisest patriots would wish them. The hermit replied, The ways of providence are often very intricate and obscure, and men were much to blame for casting reflections on the conduct of the whole. Upon the bare inspection of the minutest part. The next topic they entered upon was the passions. Alas, said Zadig, how fatal in their consequences. However, said the hermit, they are the winds that swell the sail of the vessel. Sometimes, tis true, they overset it, but there is no such thing as sailing without them. Phlegm, indeed, makes men peevish and sick, but then there is no living without it though everything here below is dangerous yet all are necessary in the next place their discourse turned on sensual pleasures and the hermit demonstrated that they were the gifts of heaven for said he man cannot bestow either sensations or ideas on himself he receives them all his pain and pleasure as well as his being proceed from a superior cause. Zadig stood astonished to think how a man that had committed such vile actions could argue so well on such moral topics. At the proper hour after an entertainment not only instructive but every way agreeable, their host conducted them to their bedchamber, thanking heaven for directing two such polite and virtuous strangers to his house. He offered them at the same time some silver, to defray their expenses on the road, but with such an air of respect and benevolence that t'was impossible to give the least disgust. The hermit, however, refused it, and took his leave, as he proposed to set forward for Babylon by break of day. Their parting was very affectionate and friendly. Zadig in particular expressed a more than common regard for a man of so amiable a behavior. When the hermit and he were alone and preparing for bed, they talked long in praise of their new host. As soon as daylight appeared, the old hermit waked his young comrade. "'Tis time to be gone,' said he. "'But as all the house are fast asleep, I'll leave a token behind me of my respect and affection.'" for the master of it. No sooner were the words out of his mouth, but he struck a light, kindled a torch, and set the building in a flame. Zadig, in the utmost confusion, shrieked out, and would, if possible, have prevented him from being guilty of such a monstrous act of ingratitude. The hermit dragged him away by a superior force. The house was soon in a blaze. When they had got at a convenient distance, the hermit, with an amazing sedateness, turned back and surveyed the destructive flames. Behold, said he, our fortunate friend. In the ruins he will find an immense treasure that will enable him, from henceforth, to exert his beneficence and render his virtues more and more conspicuous. Zadig, though astonished to the last degree, attended him to their last stage, which was to the cottage of a very virtuous and well-disposed widow, who had a nephew of about fourteen years of age. He was a hopeful youth, and the darling of her heart. She entertained her two guests with the best provisions her little house afforded. In the morning, she ordered her nephew to attend them to an adjacent bridge, which, having been broken down, some few days before, rendered the passage dangerous to strangers. The lad, being very attentive to wait on them, went foremost. When they were got upon the bridge, Come hither, my pretty boy, said the hermit, I must give your aunt some small token of my respect for her last night's favors. Upon that he twisted his fingers in the hair of his head and threw him very calmly into the river. Down went the little lad. He came up once again to the surface of the water, but was soon lost in the rapid stream. O thou monster, thou worst of villains, cried Sadig. Didn't you promise, said the hermit, to view my conduct with patience? Know then, that had that boy lived but one year longer, he would have murdered his foster mother. Who told you so, you barbarous wretch? said Zadig. And when did you read that inhuman event in your black book of fate? Who gave you permission, pray, to drown so innocent a youth that had never disobliged you? No sooner had our young Babylonian ceased his severe reflections, but he perceived that the old hermit's long beard grew shorter and shorter, that the furrows in his face began to fill up, and that his cheeks glowed with a rose-colored red as if he had been in the bloom of fifteen. His mantle was vanished at once, and on his shoulders, which were before covered, appeared four angelic wings, each refulgent as the sun. O thou messenger of heaven, O thou angelic form, cried Zadig, and fell prostrate at his feet. Thou art descended from the imperium, I find, "'to instruct such a poor, frail mortal as I am "'how to submit to the mysteries of fate. "'Mankind in general,' said the angel Jezrad, "'judge of the whole "'by only viewing the hither link of the chain. "'Thou, of all the human race, wast the only man "'that deserved to have thy mind enlightened.' "'Zadig begged leave to speak. "'I am somewhat diffident of myself, tis true.' But may I presume, sir, to beg the solution of one scruple. Would it not have been better to have chastised the lad, and by that means reformed him, than to have cut him off thus unprepared in a moment? Jezrad replied, had he been virtuous, and had he lived, t'was his fate, not only to be murdered himself, but his wife, whom he would afterwards have married, and the little infant that was to have been the pledge of their mutual affection. Is it necessary, then, venerable guide, that there should be wickedness and misfortunes in the world, and that those misfortunes should fall with weight on the heads of the righteous? The wicked, replied Jesrad, are always unhappy. Misfortunes are intended only as a touchstone, to try a small number of the just, who are thinly scattered about this terrestrial globe. Besides, there is no evil under the sun, but some good proceeds from it. But, said Zadig, suppose the world was all goodness, and there was no such thing in nature as evil. Then that world of yours, said Jezred, would be another world. The chain of events would be another wisdom, and that other order, which would be perfect, must of necessity be the everlasting residence of the Supreme Being, whom no evil can approach. That great and first cause has created an infinite number of worlds, and no two of them alike. This vast variety is an attribute of his omnipotence. There are not two leaves on the trees throughout the universe, nor any two globes of light amongst the myriad of stars that deck the infinite expanse of heaven, which are perfectly alike. And whatever you see on that small atom of earth, whereof you are a native, must exist in the place, and that the time appointed according to the immutable decrees of him who comprehends the whole. Mankind imagine that the lad who I plunged into the river was drowned by chance, and that our generous benefactor's house was reduced to ashes by the same chance But no, there is no such thing as chance. All misfortunes are intended, either as severe trials, judgments, or rewards, and are the result of foreknowledge. You remember, sir, the poor fisherman in despair that thought himself the most unhappy mortal breathing. The great Arasmatas sent you to amend his situation. Frail mortal, cease to contend with what you ought to adore. But, said Zadig, whilst the sound of the word but dwelt upon his tongue, the angel took his flight towards the tenth spear. Zadig sunk down upon his knees and acknowledged an overruling providence with all the marks of the profoundest submission. The angel, as he was soaring towards the clouds, cried out in distant accents, Make thy way towards Babylon. End of chapter 17, The Hermit, recording by Rachel Costello.